From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, MVW Digital proudly presents the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'd say thanks for tuning in, but why am I going to give you a round of applause for something you're supposed to do, to be frank? And now, here are your hosts, Chase Parm. And broadcast school has really paid off. And Neil McCready. I deserve to be on TV. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of the Oxford Exxon Podcast. I'm Chase Parm, and today we're going to talk with Mississippi Today Editor-in-Chief Adam Ganeshow. We're going to talk a lot of state flag, what uh, what happened in the weeks leading up to this, what Mississippi Today's role was uh, from, a, from a coverage standpoint, what they brought to you as well as many other topics there after we uh, get done with the lengthy conversation about the flag and all of uh, kind of the, uh, the collateral things associated with that. We talk a little coronavirus in Mississippi and uh, and more on the podcast brought to you every single day by the Oxford Exxon Highway 6 West in Oxford. Speed Pass Plus app. Download it, get to know it, use it at all Blue Sky locations in Mississippi because when you do that, you can be as safe as possible filling up there at the pump. You can pay right there on the app. You don't have to worry about touching much of anything. Get back on your way in a safe fashion with the Speed Pass Plus app. You go the next door to the Oxford Crystal. You can use the drive through there if you so wish and, uh, and more. So appreciate Ben and the guys at the Oxford Exxon every single day. And again, we're coming to you with the Clark Ford Studio, 662-257-1900. Corey will get you a uh, quote within 15 minutes during business hours. It's right there in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900. Again, is the phone number. Corey wants to be your truck guy, wants to be your car guy, and he will take care of you. There's discounts associated with, missing, with mentioning the podcast and much more. And Adam will come to you on the Raptors Music and Food Hotline. Raptors on the Water is open, located at the Sardis Marina. Come experience outdoor dining like any like unlike any place in North Mississippi. The menu offers shrimp and Mississippi catfish platters along with gourmet burgers, Louisiana-style po'boys. Served on Leidenheimer French bread. The hours Wednesday, Thursday, 3.30 to 10. Friday to Saturday, 11 to 10. Newly expanded picnic area. Signature appetizers such as Zydeco shrimp, crawfish egg rolls, and more live music as soon as the... Uh, the governor allows it and more. So, again, 662-712-6162 to go and curbside pickup are available. And we'll jump right into the podcast. Again, here's my conversation with Adam Ganesho. Mississippi Today Editor-in-Chief Adam Ganesho joining me on the Rafters Music and Food Hotline today. Adam, appreciate uh, appreciate the time. You know, I, I sent you a text, I guess about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that. And I was talking about how... Maybe since the 60s, this is one of the crazier times in journalism in Mississippi with everything happening just from a story, from a journalism, from an interest level. I had no idea it wasn't a premonition, but now we've got a state flag thing as well. I mean, do you do you look back on these six months a little bit and go just, holy crap, everything that continues to kind of transpire and, and maybe progress, regress, however you want to call it, depending on what, what, our, what, our, what our conversation is in Mississippi right now during this time? Yeah, I mean, it's a great way to put it. Um, you know, I guess the first thing I'll say is I, I was just talking to you before we started recording and like it, I'm still kind of processing this state flag thing. I mean, it, it happened so quickly. It was, it was literally like less than three weeks from the time that conversations at the Capitol really started to when they actually passed it. And, you know, three weeks ago, I would have told you there's no way that, that, you know, even 50 members of the house would vote to change the state flag publicly. And we ended up getting like 92 of them you know, three weeks later. So uh, it's, it's wild, you know, just talking bigger picture, like you said, Chase, I mean, like, you know, just the, the national sort of protests about racial justice or injustice, uh, 
in the wake of the George Floyd murder in Minneapolis. I mean, you know, we are living in a point in American history that like, I, I just, you know, when something like this happens in Mississippi, when, when a state flag that has been flying for 126 years with this divisive, uh, symbol on it is pulled down. Um, you know, it, it just, you can't, you can't look at this time as anything other than just, you know, uh, I, I've been calling it a revolution. I mean, I know that, you know, historically speaking, you can't necessarily call it that fairly yet because we don't know the true effects of this moment, but, um, good Lord. I mean, this is just, you know, this is a time that, that I don't think, you know, we, no one really understands yet, like fully what it's going to mean and, and, you know, what it's going to mean for Mississippi, but, uh, it's just, uh, it's certainly wild. What kind of dog you got? I'm sorry about that. Oh, her, her name is Emma. She's a Brittany Spaniel. Okay. She, we have these big bay windows in the front of the house and she's, uh, barking at everything that moves out there. So probably a squirrel. <laughs> if there's if there's a FedEx driver come up at any point during our interview, you'll you'll, you'll hear from from both my 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 oh, God. because yeah. it, it it's awful. <laughs> I mean, I, and it and it never fails. I mean, it's like it's a lawn guy or a FedEx guy or something every time I'm recording a podcast and it's like I, there's nothing I can do about it. Like I could get up and yell at them, but it'll be over before I can pull that off. So it is it, it, it is what it is. Um just a quick aside, when when is this thing actually coming down? I mean, I know that the the Department of History and Archives has 15 days once it's signed. Do we do we have any really timetable on when this thing's 100% done? And is there some sort of decommissioned ceremony? I mean, what does that look like? So don't don't know about a ceremony yet. Um, the language in the bill itself said something like, uh, like you said, the Department of Archives and History needs to re- re- officially retire it within 15 days of the, the governor signing it into law which that's happening today at five o'clock on okay. Tuesday at five o'clock. Okay. Um, so we'll have 15 days, I guess, from today for the Department of Archives and History to officially retire it. I don't know about any official ceremony. We've been trying to figure that out. Um, you know, a lot of I've seen like just a lot of cities, counties, Oxford or Lafayette County both did this. I think they they went ahead and just pulled it down, um, even though it's not officially law yet. So um, I, I think, you know, just generally speaking, we're going to see it, within a couple of weeks, I don't know if you'll see any government entity officially flying it anymore. Um, we'll see what the archives and history department does. Um, I, the, in the language itself of the bill, it said something like the flag needs to be officially retired with dignity and respect or some shit like that. <laughs> um, and you know, I personally, I don't, I don't know like what good a whole ceremony with speakers and like pulling the flag down does, but uh, wouldn't be surprised if we see that. It's it's still Mississippi, right? Well, I mean, I, I was I was putting that in my head a little bit, and I went, okay. I mean, in some ways, I get the positive of like promoting that because you are pulling it down. But it's in some point, it's like, hey, you've already like voted on it. Just go down at the end of the day, whenever it gets dark, and take it down for the last time and be done with it. You know what I mean? Like, I almost feel like you're, and I think it's what you were alluding to. You run the risk of making a caricature of yourself a little bit if you put too much yep. effort into it. And frankly. You're going to catch some, rightly or wrongly, I'm not saying this should be, because this is obviously progress, you're going to catch some kind of symbolic, um, ex, you know, comparisons to maybe, you know, when monuments went up in the early 1900s or something like that. You know what I mean? Where everybody gathered around and whatnot. So anything to avoid that and keep it, I think, out of the public eye would probably be a good move. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I think like historians I, I know and have talked to, they're they're sort of torn about this moment in history, too. I mean... You know, just even talking about monuments, you know, they're 
they study these things. And, and I think, you know, most everyone realizes that this time, you know, at this time, it's probably the right move to, um, you know, move some of these monuments or pull down an image like the Confederate battle flag off your official state flag. But, um, yeah, we're, we're, it'll be interesting to see how they handle it at Archives and History to, you know, just to, you know, whatever. Personally, I think uh, the last 126 years in the state of Mississippi has shown enough dignity and respect for that image. Uh, so I don't I don't know why a ceremony right now is needed, but, you know, they're not asking me that question. From a journalism standpoint, I'm kind of curious about this. You had the big story ready to go as soon as it uh, as soon as it cleared the Senate and the House and everything got done. How how long was that ready? Was somebody sitting there waiting to hit publish? Because I think it took about 30 seconds on Mississippi Today to get that thing up. How uh, how prepared were you? What were sort of the from a journalism standpoint those 24 48 hours like and in, uh, in, in being ready for that moment when it came? Well, I, I guess I'll, I'll do this uh, first. I mean, just compliment the Mississippi Today reporters, man, uh, our, our normal capital reporters. We've got uh, three people in the building every day, Jeff Pender, Bobby Harrison, and Kaylee Skinner. Um, the three of them, I mean, you know, we, we broke every story from day one or even before day one of this all the way through. I mean, everything that was coming, we had published at least a day in advance, or if we didn't publish it, we knew exactly what was happening. So, um, you know, from my perspective as an editor, that made it a lot like really easy to just sort of, you know, have, have stories ready to go. Um, that last one was very easy. I mean, everybody, everybody should have had that one ready to go just because, yeah. you know, Saturday, the, the big vote Saturday, which was like the procedural vote to clear the way to pass the bill. That was, that was the big question mark because that required a two thirds majority in both the house and the Senate. So after they passed that, I mean, it was all but done. So, I mean, I, you know, it wasn't difficult at all to just sit down and knock out a, you know, 750 word story about it, this is done and just hit publish as soon as it was official. Um, you know, it, I don't know. I've just, like I said, I've still been processing all this and, and just putting notes on paper, just even for my own benefit, because, you know, it, this three weeks was an all out sprint. There were no weekends. I mean, lawmakers all every weekend for the last three weeks had, we're talking and whipping votes and trying to make, get this done. So, you know, we're all tired. Everybody, you know, lawmakers, journalists, everybody involved is, is worn out and just trying to kind of understand what exactly happened. But man, as a journalist, uh, I'll never, I'll never forget this last three weeks. It was, it's a story. It's a story of a lifetime, Um, you know, to be, to even play some small role in this historic moment, uh, you know, as a native Mississippian like myself, as somebody who loves this state and loves its people more than anyone else, uh, but but then getting to be that journalist and sort of being on the inside and hearing about the conversations that were happening behind the scenes and like uh, getting to share that with the world as everybody, literally the world, as people uh, started tuning into this debate from from. Uh, way outside of Mississippi. So, you know, it's, it was just a special, a special story to cover. Um, I'm just so, so thrilled about the role Mississippi today played specifically, but I'm just even, even more just elated for the state of Mississippi here. I think this is uh, a positive decision that will help grow this state for generations to come. Truly. So before the statement from the NCAA, from or sorry, the rule change from the NCAA, before the SEC puts out its statement with Greg Sankey, let's say middle of that week, 
Where do you think this thing was sitting? Was it was it dead and buried? Was it potentially something that would have to go to January? Do you think there was a possibility for a referendum? I mean, we're, we're, I want to go through some of the things that did change some things, change some votes. But where was this thing sitting right before that? What what, what chance did you have? Because I, I I talked to a couple different legislators that went, hey, maybe, but probably not. I mean, it felt like it was losing momentum quickly before those flashpoints. Chase, I can't tell you how many times, like internally at Mississippi Today, like in our newsroom with those political reporters I just named, like sitting around the table saying like, there's no way this happens this year, but all we can do is just keep writing the stories, keep, keep telling Mississippians like where their, where their elected officials are on this issue. Cause it's not going to go away. We, mm. we even internally just so many times said, there's no way this happens. Um, it's, it's done. There's no chance this year, but we also knew because of the national moment that, that we've been talking about already, because, um, you know, just of these protests that are even still happening in Mississippi, that's, that's not going to stop, you know, and we, we knew that it was a story that needed needed our full focus, regardless of what lawmakers would ultimately do. But um, that week, uh, I, I don't remember the date off the top of my head, but it was it was a two day period middle of that week, like you said, where uh, Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, releases his statement Um Actually, right about like, I mean, within five minutes of him releasing his statement, I was hitting publish. I'd been working on a story for a couple hours before that, getting ready to hit publish on this story about uh, about three dozen current and former athletes, college athletes in the state of Mississippi, representing every every college and university in the state um, had sent this letter to the NCAA asking them to make the ruling that they ultimately made, which was, was of course, banning all postseason events in the state, including college baseball, which was the big one. Right. Um, women, women's college basketball is big in Starkville. Uh, hadn't been big in Oxford for a little while. But, right. um, you know, that – you asked me sort of before that moment, where was this? I'd say I would have put the chances of this happening at, like, 1% or 2%. I mean, truly. Like, there, there was just – again, just – Internally, externally, we we're hearing from our sources at the Capitol, at leadership, like the votes weren't there. They didn't even have like half the necessary Republican votes at that point to, to get there. And um, you had Trey Lamar on the podcast. And, and, you know, I don't think I'm betraying his trust by talking about this. I think like I think eventually it's all going to come out. I don't know. I don't know who's going to who's going to write the, the long form piece of the book, but. Um, I, I texted Trey that, that day because Trey, uh, had been involved with getting those athletes together, uh, for that letter right. and sending it to the NCAA. And I don't know if he, he talked about that. I hadn't had a chance to listen to your interview. He, he, only, he only made, he only, um, implied that he knew the NCAA was mulling that decision for a couple of days or that that was potentially coming because of some things along those lines. That's what yeah, he told us. Yeah. He, he had some level of involvement with the crafting or the, the okay. organization of that group of athletes. And um, I texted him again, you know, we published our story about the letter um, and Greg Sankey released his statement all within like a 10 minute period. It was, I guess it was like Wednesday evening or Thursday evening. Two I think it was ago. Thursday because the incident blade went on Friday morning. That's right. It was, that's right. It was actually June. 18th because june juneteenth on june 19th is when the ncaa released their statement officially so um i texted trey and i just i said you know hey you know heard you were involved with this letter wondering if you might want to send out a statement that night that thursday june 18th night trey sends out his statement which 
was his first public, it's mm-hmm. time to do this. Right. And, um, you know, that, I mean, for Trey Lamar, he's, depending on who you ask, he's, he's one of the four most powerful lawmakers in the building um, because of his chairmanship on ways, House Ways and Means. Um, and for him, a, a true Republican House leader uh, who's very close to the speaker to come out publicly and say it's time to do this, that was a big moment too. But uh, he told me that night, he said, I think this letter gets us at least a dozen Republican House votes just the letter itself. Um, and that was even before the ruling came out, the NCAA ruling. So that was an inflection point that, uh, I, you know, people, a lot of people have asked me like, what was the turning point? What was the moment that this was going to happen? Mm-hmm. Um, it's impossible to define one moment, one person, one event as the turning point. But, but that, that sports pressure, the, I'd say the combination of, SEC and NCAA, but really the NCAA. I think that one had a lot more weight and meaning than Sankey saying we're going to ban like track from being hosted at, at Ole Miss. You know, so um, yeah, the sports. I mean, Rick Cleveland, who's sports columnist for Mississippi Today, of course. I think if, if anyone's listening to this podcast and follows Mississippi sports, you know who Rick Cleveland is. But um, you know, he had a great column uh, yesterday. It came out Monday that. Uh, you know, undeniably sports played a central role in this. I mean, it might not have been everything, but without sports, you know, it, it wouldn't have happened. Also have to mention Kylan Hill at Mississippi State. I know this is an Ole Miss podcast, but, um, you know, one of the things, one of, one of the guys who, who actually he ended up, he's an attorney here in Jackson. He wrote that letter that all those athletes signed. Okay. One of the things that he was telling me all along was this letter's big. Uh, the NCA seems like they're going to move on it quickly, but what would really do this is if football, like current football players at the big three, Ole Miss state and Southern Miss, uh, even hint at a boycott. And I'm, I, he said that to me and I was like, yeah, you're right. But like, are they going to actually do that? And that was also that same week. I mean, it might've been even 24 hours or so before that, that June 18th day, uh, is when the Ole Miss football team or a lot of the current players released that video mm-hmm. uh, asking the Lafayette County Board of Supervisors to move the, the Confederate monument off the square. Um, you know, sports just you can't you can't deny the sports just kind of. I, I don't I don't want to say that it was everything, but two things: one, it got a lot of those lawmakers who were on the fence over the hump. You know, a lot of those lawmakers who knew that even a lot of the conservative, you know, constituents of theirs who may favor the current state flag, they'd be really upset to know that they couldn't go to Starkville or Oxford and watch regional, super regional baseball. Um, and, you know, that was the first thing. And the second thing that sports pressure did, specifically the Colin Hill in NCAA moments, it got the national attention turned to Mississippi. Uh, I think within 24 hours of Colin Hill, there was like this long form New York Times piece that Alan Blinder did um, about the, the flag debate. And, and, you know, the Colin Hill news, I think, broke an ESPN. Uh, it, it just it was it put this whole thing on a national spotlight or a national level that uh, I think that was really what influenced a lot of these lawmakers more than anything. It was 
you know, now you got all these national corporations, international corporations who do business in Mississippi reading these articles in the New York Times about, you know, this flag and and how lawmakers are uh, actually talking about not dealing with it in this moment. And, you know, it was it was a snowball effect from there, that NCAA, Colin Hill, SEC moment. it, It just sort of snowballed from there. The Oxford Exxon Podcast is also brought to you by the Iron Horse Grill. The Iron Horse Grill is the perfect place to enjoy lunch, dinner, or Sunday brunch. 320 East Pearl Street in Jackson. They also offer on-site large event catering for up to 250 people, off-site full catering services, especially beverage catering. So if you're planning a birthday party, a graduation celebration, a rehearsal dinner, wedding reception, or whatever, get in touch with the Iron Horse Grill. Call Sarah Black, 601-398-0151 for your catering needs and knock that off your worry list. Let the Iron Horse Grill make your event one that is memorable forever. We're also brought to you by our friends at Blue Delta Jeans. They are excited to announce that on October 16th, that's the Friday before the Florida game, Blue Delta Jeans will be hosting the second annual Delta Cup Golf Tournament. Oxford Exxon podcast listeners may remember that last year's Delta Cup was taken home by one Anthony Chase Parham and his uh, group. So this year, the Delta Cup will be your opportunity to challenge the reigning victors. Tea time will be at 10 a.m. at Mossy Oak Golf Club. Your registration fee will include green and cart fees, food and drinks on the course, as well as a new pair of blue Delta jeans. Prizes will be up for grabs for holes in one, uh, closest to the pin, and longest drives. The field will be limited to 18 teams this year, so don't wait. Email Tyler at BlueDeltaJeans.com to reserve your spot, and they'll see you on the course. We are also brought to you by our friends at uh, Dead Soxy. Don't forget, it's deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. Uh, check out their inventory. Uh, the product is fantastic. They've been great with us, the sponsor of the uh, Soft Verbal Podcast, so deadsoxy.com. We are also brought to you by Pinnacle Trust. Pinnacle Trust is based in Madison, Mississippi. They've got clients in more than 20 states, advisors in multiple states as well. Pinnacle Trust provides detailed, specialized investment management, financial planning, retirement planning for individuals and businesses, and much more. At Pinnacle Trust, investing is treated like a commodity. Decisions are made using objective information and research, not emotions. So regardless of your level of wealth, Pinnacle Trust will sit down with you, listen to your goals, study your expenses, and put forth a comprehensive, detailed financial and retirement plan built just for you. Pintrust.com, P-I-N-N Trust.com. Mention that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on the podcast. You get 10% off your first year's fees. We are also brought to you by John Edwards of Regency Travel Incorporated in Memphis. If you're thinking about getting away, John knows everything that's open. He knows where the deals are. He's part of Virtuoso. It's a worldwide network of travel partners that allows him to supply his clients with added values, unique benefits, simply not available to other travelers. He knows how to make your special trip one that creates a lifetime of unique memories. So what you do is you give him a call, you give him some parameters, you give him a budget, and he'll give you options. And you don't have to live near Memphis to take advantage of the services. 901-494-3387 or send him an email, Edwards at regencytravel.net. First-time clients can save $50 off their first booked trip just by telling John you heard about Regency Travel on the podcast. I think I undervalued that letter a little bit um, because if it obviously helped with the NCAA ruling, the NCAA's pressure was a huge part, yeah, as you said. I think when I first looked at the letter, and this is no offense to any of these people, 
I looked at it and didn't see like the big name. You know what I mean? So I was like, in my mind, yeah. I'm going, okay, is there capital here for this to be a push? I know it's a lot of names. I know it's a lot of schools. I, I know it's a big deal, but a lot of times when you're doing this, it is, it, it's kind of about using your capital, using your leverage. And when it was kind of absent of names that Mississippi fans and, and everybody would, and just the populace in general would know, I thought, I don't know where to put this. You know what I mean? I do. I think I undervalued it because I just didn't see names that necessarily moved the needle on the list. Yeah. So, you know, like I said earlier, there was so much of this, like it was, it was just a privilege and just this crazy thing to be a reporter in the middle of all this. Cause you know, you know, this better than anyone chase. Like a lot of times as a reporter, you hear, you hear what's happening behind the scenes, but you can't report it. And, you know, that, that still helps shape your coverage. So yeah, we, we break, we break the story about that letter, the athlete sending that letter. And, um, you're right. There weren't a big, there weren't big names on it. Lindsey Hunter, uh, who played basketball at Jackson state. Uh, he's the current head coach at Mississippi Valley state, uh, longtime NBA player, longtime NBA coach. Um, he was the biggest name on there. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm a Mississippian and I like had heard of him, but I didn't like exactly know who he was until I read his Wikipedia page. So like yeah. you know that's that that's the big name. So you're right about that. But you know we're we're as I was writing that story and talking to the people who sort of were working behind the scenes, I knew this. I just couldn't report it, and I, I will be reporting this for sure. Like this is now that it's done, it's easy to report it. Um, so I guess anyone listening to this, hearing this for the first time, but that letter wasn't necessarily like it wasn't just a cold a cold effort to like get some attention at the NCAA. The people who did that letter, who made that happen had been working and talking with the NCAA behind the scenes already. And effectively they were just like, we need athletes, as many athletes as you can to sign a letter. And I think I, the way I perceived it, at least at the time, and I still think this is true. I think that was like the NCAA wanted that cover. You know, it was just like, get us a letter that asks for this specific thing, get as many athletes to sign it, don't care who it is, that gives us the cover and the impetus to, to make the ruling. So they may have made it anyways, even without that letter, but I do know firsthand that uh, the NCAA was working with the, with the attorney here in Jackson who had drafted that letter and was sort of coordinating the effort to get those signatures of the athletes. So, um, yeah, again, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily about like the names for the NCAA. It was about the, the actual letter itself. The schools obviously knew the NCAA thing was coming. Uh, Keith Carter, when he was on our show last week, he was he was somewhat unhappy with Sankey's wording simply because the schools haven't supported the flag. They've had the flag down since 2015, and he felt like the wording was not overly great there. Where do you sort of stand on that? Because it was one of the places where I was. I was a little, not annoyed, but my antenna went up because you don't know what the legislators are going to do. I mean, obviously it worked out, but who knows? I mean, like you said, I mean, it's, it's Mississippi. We had to get here. A lot of stuff ha had to happen to get to that point. Punishing schools potentially for something that they have no ability to actually change and for something that they've denounced for half a decade, it just had a really weird feel to me if this thing had gone a different direction. Yeah, um... I don't disagree with that fully. I mean, I don't, I want to be careful with what I say here. Cause it, you know, it's, it's not my place and yeah, you know, sure. it's just, it's just one man's opinion here, but I wonder 
had it not been for the NCA and SEC statements and the way they were worded. And I, I hear that argument. Like when that, when that first came out, we wrote the story. I texted it to my, to my brother, who is the biggest Ole Miss baseball fan I know. And I was just like, Hey, did you see this? He's like, yeah, I just think it's very unfair for like all our guys, all our players to not get to host a regional because of something that's out of their control. Right. So, I hear it. Like it makes sense to me. I, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with that point. But I wonder, had it not been for Greg Sankey and his loosely worded statement, or the NCAA and their strongly worded statement, had they not done those things and put some pressure in the way that they did, if you know, we wouldn't have had those dozens of of D1 coaches come to the Capitol and mm-hmm. like lobby lawmakers directly um, to change the state flag and. Chase, that was a huge moment. I mean, that's that's something that, like, you know, looking back on this, I'm not sure, like, like I said, there's there's not one moment that you can point to. It was a collection of a lot of things and a lot of people and a lot of work. Uh, but, I mean, I, as I think back on this, this last three weeks, and again, as I said, I'm still processing it, but as I think back on it, I mean, a top one, two, or three moment for me personally, and I think for this whole effort, was when, every D one coach in the state came and stood on those Capitol steps mm-hmm. and did that press conference. And, you know, what a powerful moment that was, you know, what, what else Rick Cleveland wrote this too. what he said, he's been waiting all of his life. He's been, he's been covering sports since he was like 14 years old in Mississippi. And his dad was a sports writer, long time sports writer. I mean, he, he is, he knows Mississippi sports better than literally anyone in the state. And he said, I've been waiting my entire life one issue to unify every university in the state and it was the state flag or changing the state yeah. flag is what it was i mean what a powerful moment seeing seeing mike leach and lane kiffin standing next to each other uh you know that that's a whole weird thing we could probably have a whole entire podcast on that moment and the, the weirdness rick rick in that column wrote something like you know for mike leach and lane kiffin who are not mississippians who haven't even coached their first game in the state to be standing here at the Capitol asking lawmakers to change this, this old racist image must be very surreal to them. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it, it, that was a, that was a huge moment. But again, I don't, I don't know if that moment comes if it weren't for the SEC and the NCAA doing what they did. And I think they knew that they being the SEC and NCAA, they knew that they had this power in this moment to, to, to affect some positive change. And, and I'm not convinced that they wouldn't have rolled back some of those restrictions if, if lawmakers failed out. to act, yeah. you know? Yeah, that was my that was my nervousness. I just I, I didn't fully trust the process and thought, okay, what if it's not enough? What, what, what happens? Because, I mean, yeah, you, you hit it. I mean, the two images – that to me have stuck out to this point is all those all those people on the steps, all the coaches, all the administrators um, that, that, that you talk about, and then probably the the clapping in the chambers as it finally went through on Saturday when they got the two thirds majority yep. are sort of the two things that, that stick out because, uh, you know, I was talking to to a legislator last week at some point, and there was a frustration about how sports was probably going to be the thing that did turn the tide. Now, obviously, they wanted it done. But that you know, just societally, the right thing that business wasn't uh what was hadn't been enough or wasn't going to be enough. I think what sports did was it provided that really tangible, obvious thing that was going to be taken away if you didn't change it. Because we have always talked about 
okay, the economy suffers because of the flag or businesses aren't coming here because of the flag. But it's really hard to pinpoint what that looks like. It's hard to pinpoint what businesses, what exactly do we mean in this? And this gave a very direct, very straightforward thing of if you do not do this, this is how you suffer in these different ways. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The business angle is interesting because anecdotally, we know that's true. Like we know that we have missed out on massive companies coming to do business here because of our state flag. But there was almost like this extra effort to make sure that wasn't told publicly. And, and I don't know, I don't know if there was anything necessarily nefarious about that. I think if you're an economic developer, you're not like, you're not too keen on the notion of like letting a big corporation who chose Alabama over Mississippi for this billion dollar project because of the state flag. I don't, I'm not sure that as a Mississippi economic developer, you're frustrated as hell by that, but I'm not sure the best thing is to like blast that publicly, you know, because it could, it could actually snowball and hurt you in future endeavors. So there was, there was that weird dynamic in the business community. Uh, shout out to the, to some of the key CEOs who, signed that big Mississippi Economic Council letter or the big full page ad in the mm-hmm. newspapers and um, a couple who, you know, talked to reporters. I talked to a couple like Joe Frank Sanderson at Sanderson Farms and John Harrison at Hancock Whitney Bank. Um, you know, that that helped. That that definitely helped move the needle in a very tremendous and profound way. But going back to sports chase, I mean I don't know. Like, yeah, like in a perfect world, we would have lawmakers would have made this decision on their own volition because it was the right thing to do. But like the notion, the notion that sports shouldn't have played a role in this, I kind of, I don't, I don't fully buy that because I think, you know, look at, look at Mississippi society in general. I Mm -hmm. think the two most influential uh, sectors, I don't know how to describe them. Just the two most influential aspects of Mississippi society are, sports specifically college sports and religion mm-hmm. and uh you know in in this regard you had the college sports world unified in, in saying it's time to change the state flag and what we've never had until this year until the last three weeks was even the most conservative sectors or denominations of uh religious groups um coming out and saying the same thing so you know it's not surprising. I, again, this is I'm, I'm taking this line from Rick Cleveland, who just was all over the sports angle the last three weeks. But, I mean, it's not surprising that sports played a big role because sports has often played a big role yeah. in social change in Mississippi. And, um, you know, I, I think that without sports, it wouldn't have happened. Without religion, it wouldn't have happened. Without those business interests, it wouldn't have happened. Without the grassroots organizers, it wouldn't have happened. Um, but then, you know, when they all come together in this in this meaningful way, that that just set it over the edge. It, Trey Lamar told us yesterday that you know, obviously, we knew the score, we knew we had the votes on that Saturday, or we wouldn't have gone to uh, gone to the call to actually try to have the votes. At the same time, I sense tons of relief, as much as celebration in that room, that one or two people didn't get cold feet, that they do the roll call and nobody backs off. I mean, it was. He kind of downplayed it, but I still felt like as we're all watching this or you're sitting there or wherever you are, I mean, it's a pretty tense moment because you know it's going to be tight. You know it wouldn't take but one or two to swing this whole thing back sideways. And it it was celebratory, but I thought it was almost a big exhale in the room at the same time. Um. Yeah, I... 
you know, again, I, we we didn't get much sleep. I certainly didn't get much sleep. I'm, yeah. I'm writing as much as I possibly could the last three weeks about all this, and it's leading up to this big vote. That again, the Saturday vote, which was the procedural vote to like clear the way for them to consider a bill, took the two thirds, and that was obviously the big the big hurdle in all this. And I was in the House chamber when they took the vote over there, and I think the House ended up getting it by. They were okay. Five, yeah, it was fine five, over they, there. It, it was not quite as close as once initially thought in the House, but even I mean, we, we knew that. We didn't know how big that margin would be, but we knew that they were good in the House. The big question mark was the Senate. Yeah. I mean, when it when it moved over to the Senate, I seriously wondered if they were about to like not get enough votes on the actual final vote. <laughs> and uh, I know that I wasn't alone in, in that, but I mean – Talk about some tense moments. Even before the House vote, most people knew pretty well that the House had it no matter what. But, um, man, after that Senate vote, I mean, I, I literally breathed out this massive sigh of relief. I know that, that many others in that building did, too. Um, it was uh, it was a special moment, but it was tense. That was that was really this this uh, this big question mark, like I said, was the Senate. And, you know, once they got that, it was it was all but over. Um, and I don't know. You know, I, I also, you know, I, I watched the face of a couple of lawmakers who I knew from talking to them. I'm, I'm not going to name names, but I, I knew from talking to them that they they wanted to vote to change the flag. But they knew that if they did, they were likely not going to get reelected in three years. And. I'm not using that as a defense. I think generally that's a chicken shit argument, especially on a vote like this. This is this should be bigger than politics, but you know I, I'm not a politician, so I can I can sympathize with with their perspective on this. But you know I, I saw I saw the hurt on a couple of their faces after they had to cast that no vote, um, and that's something that gets lost in this too. I think is is. <laughs> You know, I, again, I, I don't have too much sympathy for them because ultimately I don't think they did the right thing. And, and forever, this historic vote, their name is going to be in that no column. Yeah. And I think that weighed on them. Um, and like I said, I'm not I'm not I'm not too sympathetic to it. But I mean, it's 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 something that I just am trying to think through and process still. And, and that's another sort of thing about this whole thing. I won't forget. It's just knowing the anguish of, of a few of those lawmakers who had to vote no or felt like they had to vote no for political reasons and uh, felt really bad about it. I'm sure they'll they'll feel bad about that for the rest of their life. I know I know one local one here did. How many changed their vote or at least went yes on the on Sunday versus voting no on Saturday? So I think in the House well in the Senate there was one. There was okay. one who voted no on Saturday who voted yes the following day on Sunday for the final vote. In the House, I think there were eight, okay. which is wild. I mean, to, to, we had in the end on that final vote, there were, I believe, 92 House members of the 122 who voted to change the state flag. And Chase, I'm not, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. Three weeks ago, that number wasn't much higher than 50 or 55. So, I mean, to think about the 40 to 45 people who, and those would have all been Republicans, who three weeks ago were hard-nosed, there's no way in hell I'm doing this, to have that change of mind and heart in three weeks, for whatever reason, we could, you said, it, there will be a lot of time to dissect those reasons, and I, I hope that I'm able to continue doing that, but uh, 
that's incredible. That's incredible to me. It, it is just, it, it's one of the most incredible political moments I think I'll ever cover. And just this, this last three weeks for, for that many votes to change on this issue specifically, is just special. It's hard to, hard to explain, hard to understand. And I said, it's something I'll always remember for the rest of my life. Pulling out one person here, we've heard, I mean, I've heard, I mean, I don't follow it day to day or anywhere near like you do, but heard forever that, you know, Philip Gunn has supported a new flag and would like to see that, whatever. What, 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 what do you sort of make of, of his role in this and how he was able to pull this thing together over these last two or three weeks? Um, I think the first thing I'll say is I think history will remember Philip Gunn as the person who made this happen. Um, certainly without his, Oh, let's back up even farther. I mean, 2015, okay. Charleston, South Carolina church shooting, nine, nine black Americans, South Carolinians are, are murdered by mm. uh, white supremacists uh, who loved, who loved that Confederate battle emblem. Um, that's when Gunn came out and said, it's time for Mississippi to change his flag. He remained for, I mean, from, from then that was like middle of 2015, summer of 2015 until, three weeks ago, he remained pretty much the only top Republican leader in Mississippi on that limb. Uh, that took a lot of political courage on his part. Uh, it took, <laughs> it took a lot of gumption for him to come out and say that in the first place, but it also took courage to maintain that anytime he was asked about it since then. Um, now, you know, critics of his would say he, he represents a district in, in, Western Hines County and Southwestern Madison County, which is, you know, it's a suburb of Jackson. It's, it's Republican district, but they're moderate and probably a vast majority of his constituents, uh, want to change the flag and they always have. That's true. But, you know, being house speaker and, uh, that, that you have to be elected as house speaker by the members of your, of, of the house of representatives. And, you know, that was, that was a risk for him to take. Because again, I'm not sure there was a majority of House members who agreed with that uh, ever, you know, let alone you know three weeks ago. But um, like I said, history I think should, will and should remember Philip Gunn as the person who made this happen. Because in the last three weeks, uh, he he whips the votes. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He was the one responsible for uh, that crazy number, that 40 to 45 Republican members who were originally no votes flipping to yes votes um, on changing the flag. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping to, to get someone on one time with him later this week. I'm hoping he's going to come on the podcast and, you know, talk about it. Cause one of the things, one of the things that a lot of people who wanted to change the flag criticized him for, even after he came out against it in 2015 was that, you know, I don't, I actually want to go back and count. I think that would be an interesting statistic, but since just looking at since 2001, when, when of course the referendum on the state flag occurred and voters in Mississippi chose almost two to one to keep the current flag. Um, going back to then, I would venture to say at least a hundred bills were filed in the house of representatives mm -hmm. uh, to change the state flag. And they almost all of them probably, 99% of them would have been filed by Democrats. So a lot of people said, you know, Philip Gunn's been speaker since 2011. So, or 2012 rather. Um, so 
a lot of people would say how many bills were filed since then to change the flag that he refused to move. Every one of those bills died in committee, which is the earliest process, part of the process at the Capitol. Um, you know, since 2015, he's publicly said he wants to change the flag, but no bill of the dozens that were filed ever made it out of committee. Why didn't he make sure that happened? What he always said all along the last few years was, we just don't have the votes. I mean, I could I could probably get a bill out of committee, but it's going to come to the House floor and it's going to die. And ultimately, his argument was ultimately that hurts any future effort to deal with the flag because everybody could just point back. You remember when we took this vote last year, last session, and, you know, 75% of the members voted against it. Why would we do this now? Like, what's different? There's nothing different. So I think Philip Gunn, you know, the criticism he got from people who, who said he should have done more sooner, I don't think that's, that's not wrong. I think it's a fair position to take. But Philip Gunn is far and away the most shrewd politician in that building. That dude is so, so good at this. And I think he knew all along that until he had the votes, until the moment was right, it was almost harmful to move on it uh, because it could, it could hurt future efforts. So, um, again, Philip Gunn, without Philip Gunn, this doesn't happen, point blank. Like, if, if you want to give the credit to one person, he's the most deserving person. Um, that's not to take away from the many Democrats who for years have tried harder than hell to make this happen. But, you know, when Democrats don't have power, uh, it's, it's hard to move any legislation. So kudos to Philip Gunn. He deserves a lot of credit. Uh, kudos to the many Democrats who've worked for a long time to make it happen. And, uh, you know, I, I, let me say one more thing about Philip Gunn, too, talking about the partisanship. It wasn't just that he sat down and whipped Republican votes when, the, when it mattered most. He also kept open lines of communication with Democrats about the state flag for years. I mean, that wasn't a new thing. Um, he he cared about the issue, obviously, on a personal level. But even in the midst of all this partisan bickering, especially in the last four years, I mean, you know, the, the, the partisan divide in, in Mississippi right now, I'd, I'd argue, is greater than it's ever been. Um, but Philip Gunn didn't ignore this issue or ignore Democrats because of that. You know, he he always was at the table. He brought them to the table. He it was I think the summer of 2017, Philip Gunn organized this uh, conference. Well, it was part of the national conference of or the southeastern conference of state legislatures like annual summer thing. And they were, they were doing it in Biloxi and Philip Gunn organized this session in that conference uh, to talk about the flag. And, you know, he brought in people from the William Winter Institute and uh, they had this sort of open dialogue about like, what's it going to take to get there? Like, how can we keep this issue alive? How can we keep working towards it? So it wasn't like he was doing absolutely nothing. And uh, that's another thing I think he deserves uh, accommodation for is sort of, uh, keeping that conversation alive and, and being willing to work with Democrats who uh, all along have, have publicly wanted this outcome. The Oxford Exxon podcast is also brought to you by Grenada Nissan. If you're in the market for a Nissan vehicle, Grenada Nissan's the place to go. They've got a complete selection of new and previously owned Nissan vehicles. Great lease deals as well. Go in, test drive one today. Tell Gene and Sandy and the people there at Grenada Nissan that you heard about 
Grenada Nissan on the podcast or at rebelgrove.com. You'll get Rebel Savings on top of the already great deals at Grenada Nissan. It's GrenadaNissanUSA.com. And we're brought to you by Oxford University Bank, OUB, locally owned and operated right here in Oxford. When you deposit money at OUB, that money and the vast majority of the bank's profits go right back into the Oxford community. OUB offers its customers the absolute best cash checking account. It's called Casasa, and with Casasa, OUB will pay customers 2.5% interest on their balances for up to $50,000 and refund ATM fees nationwide. They also offer a commercial checking account now paying 1% interest as long as you keep $10,000 in the account. It comes with fully interactive online banking. To learn more about OUB, check out liveoxfordbankoxford.com or call 662-234-6668. OUB is FDIC insured. Also brought to you by Bluff City Advisory Group, dedicated to building the future you desire. Founded in Memphis in 2019, Bluff City Advisory Group is comprised of established and seasoned financial experts who came together to serve individuals and families of their beloved hometown. The firm is built on decades of wealth management experience, and they've seen it all. Their financial advisors have a reputation for professional excellence, and their clients rely on their high level of confidence and integrity. So whether you need guidance on developing a financial plan, creating a customized executive benefits program for your business, or preparing a detailed asset allocation analysis, Bluff City Advisory will provide forward-thinking, cost-effective investment strategies customized to uniquely fit each client. Call 901-365-3447 or email ben, that's B-E-N, at bluffcityadvisory.com. And we're brought to you by the law firm of Bain, Moss, and Bowen PLLC, located in historic downtown Corinth, Mississippi. Their firm practices a wider range of law, from DUI defense to car wrecks to representing government entities. Bain, Moss, and Bowen PLLC is the only firm in Mississippi that is made up of a sitting state legislator, a former assistant district attorney, and a former circuit judge. Their experience is unmatched in that regard, and you can tap into that experience by visiting them at 618 East Waldron Street in Corinth, or by calling them at 662-287-1620. And we're brought to you by Whitney McNutt of Tommy Morgan Incorporated Realtors, serving you for all your real estate needs in Oxford and Tupelo. Whitney sells condos, land, commercial, and residential family homes, and you can reach her at 662-567-2573 or 662-842-3844. The majority of people just wanted this one changed. Didn't really care what was coming next. But what kind of a what kind of shot do you give of whatever this thing does look like with the uh, the in God we trust on it for November of, of passing? Or do you think we're discussing some secondary uh, option next uh, next year during the legisl- legislative session? <laughs> I I tend to think right now, um, for political forecasting yeah. in in the year twenty twenty is yeah good luck uh, a few a futile exercise, but. At this point right now, I really don't see how a majority of voters won't vote through any design that has that, that state seal on it, the in God we trust. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we obviously won't know until September for sure what the exact design is going to look like. Um, I imagine it will just be a red, red, white, and blue banner with the state seal in the middle of it. That's, that's what most – I think two-thirds of state flags across the country – or some variation of that, just like okay. a banner with the state seal in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, knowing that they've got to put in God we trust on it, it's part of our state seal already. Like it's just the easy, it's the easy move. I, I really chase. I just don't anticipate 
a majority of Mississippians voting against that. I just don't. Um, and if they do, they do. And the legislation spells out very specifically, you know, if, if in November voters, majority of voters say no to that design, then the commission goes back to work and we'll go back to the drawing board. Um, we, we, I guess we could just keep doing those special elections or putting it on the ballot and voters could keep saying no and we just won't have a state flag, which I don't think anyone really cares too much about. We're, we're, we're not going to war or forming our own country, so I think it's okay if it takes a little while to get, <laughs> to, to, to get a flag at this point. So I, I do have this question. I got to ask yesterday, if this initial design is rejected, does the next one have to have in God we trust on it as well, or is that a one-time stipulation on this current election? No, I mean, the way the bill's written is that it's it's got to be on there. So so any final design <laughs> has to include that. Okay. Yeah, somebody somebody is joking. You know, the, the Stennis design, I guess they're now calling it the hospitality, the hospitality flag. flag. Yeah. Um, which, I, actually, I'm not even going to say anything about that. I, I've got a lot of personal thoughts on that flag and sort of the campaign to, to exalt it into being our official state flag. But... Um, a lot of people have suggested, oh, Lawrence Sinnott should just, you know, scribble the words in God we trust somewhere really small in the corner or something. I thought that was pretty funny because, um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's where we're at now. It's like, you know, you can start thinking about technicalities or whatever. Um, a lot of like artists and I don't there's a there's a word for flag experts. I can't remember what that word is, but they they say that any lettering or wording on flags is like against every rule of flag design or whatever. Right. Uh, good luck convincing any regular Mississippian that flag design is an important aspect of what we should, how we should move forward. You know, I just, it's, it's not, it's not about putting letters or whatever. It's, it's just, it's about just picking a dang flag and moving on. And at this point, like I said, I, I suspect, the majority of voters will be okay with that state seal design. And if they are, I kind of hope they are, honestly. I just, I think we should move on. And there there will be a lot of people who want to raise a fuss over the In God We Trust and what that means. There may be lawsuits. Uh, it's, a, it's a battle for another day. But I think right now uh, the important thing is that we got rid of this current flag. And, um, you know, I, I think most people I know, even who, who oppose that language, the In God We Trust language, for whatever reason, um, I think I think they're okay for now. Just you know, moving on and and fighting that fight another day. So we don't know, but I'll ask you to speculate a little bit. I mean, short term, long term, or whatever. What do you what, what what do you think this does? I mean, what 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 impact does this have on the state from either just a getting rid of, as you said, something that's incredibly divisive, or uh, or something more 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 substantial to that? If there is anything more substantial than that. This this is where I think the the business community really could could offer some insight and perspective for us. But again, knowing that a lot of times when the flag hurt economic development in Mississippi, that they kind of didn't want that to go public for whatever reason, um, you know that that goes away immediately. So like if if we're struggling with economic development or attracting new business for whatever reason, like the flag is no longer an excuse. Um, a lot of sort of key executives I've spoken with the last three weeks or so, they believe that you can sell this right here. You can sell this decision that the legislature and, and state leaders have made to, to remove that flag as like, hey, we've got this amazing, you know, incentive package to offer you. We can we can do better than most any other state on incentives. Um, 
you know, you, you can, you know, pitch the regular economic development, you know, lines of, you know, you could move, move here. There's a good school district. You know, we've got new infrastructure being built in this County or whatever. Um, but then you can also say, and Hey, look, for a very long time, we had this symbol that probably would have been problematic for you. Uh, what lawmakers have done just recently shows that we're on a, on sort of this new trajectory towards a new Mississippi. We're trying to put our past behind us. We're trying to um, make this a vibrant, successful state, and we want you to help us do that. Um, that's an intriguing line to me right there. It's sort of like, you know, this is a show – it's, it's the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do to take down the state flag, but it also can be a show of, I think, good faith and say, you know, we're, we're actually trying to reckon with our past and we're actually trying to move forward in a way that uh, represents everybody in the state. And, you know, you, you start getting a little momentum going on that and it affects everything. You know, it, it uh, starts bringing in more revenue for the state and you can start spending more on public education if you so desire or uh, roads and bridges. And, you know, it, it's all a snowball effect. So look, I'm, I'm not saying that's going to happen. Like, obviously, you know, you could break down that argument at, at several different points, but um, from the economic development perspective, I think it has some promise and you can use this moment as sort of a springboard into the future um, while you're pitching big corporations from uh, sort of racial justice perspective. I'm intrigued by this. So in our, in our story that we published, as soon as the vote happened, we had this embargoed statement from former governor William Winter, who is 97 years young now. Um, hard to believe, but, uh, he, you know, he said something like, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that we're making this forward progress. The legislature should be commended for this. And then the, the second half of his statement was, but we need to keep this going. You know, we need to keep having these conversations that are tough about our past and try to, you know, figure out how we can continue building on, you know, making this right for so many Mississippians. And, you know, we can, we can talk about any number of, of issues, you know, police reform is the big national issue, of course, being pushed by protesters. Um, you know, we, we've heard a little bit of that in Mississippi for sure, but it wasn't ever like a major, major focal point, but I think you can expect that to, you know, heat up a little bit this summer, as we get closer to the November elections, um, you know, criminal justice reform, generally speaking, maybe not, maybe not talking police reform yet in Mississippi, but just criminal justice reform period. You know, we have one of the highest rates of incarceration in America. We have some of the toughest uh, disenfranchisement laws. So basically there are, we have like 10 crimes, felony crimes that are not violent that if you are convicted for that crime and you do time, you can never vote again. Um, that disenfranchises more black residents than any other state in the country. So talking about sort of doing away with those uh, types of laws, um, you know, talking about um, a delay in, in court hearings, you know, a lot of people will sit in, sit in jail for minor crimes because they can't afford bail. They'll sit in jail for weeks waiting on a trial because the court system is so backlogged right now. Um, stuff like that, that, you know, those, those are not difficult wins. I mean, if you can, if you can find two thirds of a vote to take down the state flag, you can find two thirds of a vote to do some common sense criminal justice reforms like that. 
And by the way, even before this this national movement, this Black Lives Matter movement uh, that we've seen this year, uh, a lot of that criminal justice reform has some hardcore conserv- conservative support and, and even evangelical support in Mississippi. So um, I think you can expect to see that. And, you know, the, the flag sort of is, is the springboard for that. Um, one other thing I'll mention is uh, we, we wrote a story about this yesterday. There's this... <laughs> The, the state flag was adopted by the legislature in 1894 in the 18 in 1890 is when we have our current state constitution adopted. So the same, same lawmakers basically did these things, but mm-hmm. in that 1890 constitution, they put in the provision that I think chase me and you talked about last year during the governor's race that uh, basically it requires that statewide candidates do two things to be elected. They have to win a majority of the popular vote, which duh, of course, that's how every election is. But in Mississippi, we're the only state that requires you to also win a majority of the house districts. And unless you do both of those things, you can't be elected unless the house of representatives elects you. So uh, that, that is like a known racist provision that was put in that 1890 constitution to keep, black statewide officials from being elected to office that exists today. That's in the federal court system. Um, and lawmakers actually this week, so the day after they voted to take down the state flag adopted in 1894, uh, voted to put this provision on the ballot because it's part of the constitution. Voters have to change it, have to approve the change. So, you know, there's movement here, Chase. I mean, it's not like this is like a one-off thing that is going to die off and we're not going to have any conversations about racial justice anymore. Um, There there are just a a lot of aspects that I think the state flag does, and you can point back to this moment as, hey, we did that, so why don't we talk about this? I feel like there's probably going to be a little bit of, not even really PR, that's the wrong word, but an information campaign for that provision because I bet a lot of people don't really even understand what that's doing or what that means. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's it's going to be a little education there. Yeah, it's deep and jargony. Um, You know, it's only come into play, I think, twice in the last, like, 50 years or something. Like, I think two different elections in the 90s, the early 90s and mid-90s, the House of Representatives had to, like, decide an election because statewide candidates didn't meet those two thresholds. But, um yeah, I, I bet you can expect to see that for sure. There'll there'll be some education, there'll be some PR and campaign uh, spending on that. Uh, you know, it has support. I mean, it, it passed the supermajority Republican legislature this week, so like it has support from Republicans and Democrats. Um, I hope somebody puts some money behind it. You know, we'll we'll be we'll be writing about that regularly. We have been. Bobby Harrison at Mississippi Today has been all over that for years now. Um, so we'll keep we'll keep reminding people as much as we can, but. Uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's something that is so, it's so dense and jargony. It, it took me like two minutes to explain what it is, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it we'll we'll see how that plays out. Kind of the last thing here, and I know this is probably an Erica Hensley question, but where do you kind of see this state right now from a, uh, from a COVID standpoint? What's any, any just impressions you've picked up from your reporters or anything else as far as kind of where we sit is like a lot of states, cases go up, deaths, however, appear to be uh, stabilizing or going down. Well, uh, cases are going up and hospitalizations are going up right now. That's that's the really scary part. Um, you know, we we have a very loose set of restrictions in place right now. I mean, you know, it's there is no longer really any restriction on businesses or or people. Period. But um, 
you know, it's not just Mississippi. You know, our cases are rising really quickly. They're they're rising in a, at a rate that's like one of the top five fastest in America the last two weeks. So that's not great. The really scary part is that hospitalizations are going up. And, um, you know, again, this isn't just a Mississippi thing. They're going up everywhere, uh, most everywhere right now. A lot of states are implementing a statewide mask order. Uh, I think that we can expect to see some consideration of that given in Mississippi in the next couple months. Uh, experts all along, I mean, from day one, they predicted that this was that there was going to be another curve in the fall. Um, everything we're hearing about Mississippi is that that's going to happen. Uh, there's it could be actually it could be worse in the fall than the first one was in the spring. And you know, as political government reporters, we have to sort of make a call on you know how much pressure to try to apply to to the elected officials who are making these decisions about you know, mask restrictions and all that. But look, I mean, I, if you if you listen to to the state health officer Thomas Dobbs the last few days, really last last week week and a half or so, he is dialing up the warnings. I mean, he he's concerned in, in a great profound way right now about like where we're headed as a state. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see some fairly coordinated campaigns coming up about college football. Um, you know, I, I seriously think that, you know, we might start seeing, you know, Hey, wear a mask, keep being careful about this or we're not going to have college football. I'm not sure there's anything else that could be effective in Mississippi at this point. Um, but who knows? Hey, what are you hearing on football, Chase? I'm curious. <laughs> I, I, I just, I guess I could, I could go read the board or read your stories. But I was startled. I mean, we, we talked about this. I was startled last week when we had Keith. And maybe startled's not the right word. Is how fine from a budget standpoint this thing has to work out because he had said something, and I've mentioned this before, and it's probably new for anybody on the podcast, but how zero percent fans is better than twenty five percent fans. And like in my head, I always went, oh, well, whatever you have, it's better than nothing. But his point was, well, you have all the expenses of a half or a full stadium with very little of the revenue if you do that because of security and vendors and all the different things that cost money inside the stadium. So actually the 25% is the worst thing imaginable to a budget for, for a university that you really need 50 to kind of break even or feel like you're doing whatever you need to do from that standpoint because – you know, I, th- I think there's a 7% decrease in, in athletic budgets across the board at Ole Miss. Um, that comes a year after maybe there was 8% last year. So you're talking about at least in some sports or all the way over, I don't know, a 15% cut in two years. That's pretty substantial. Ole Miss also, because of the uh, the probation, they're down $16 million, I guess, from uh, from bowl revenue money for those two years. Yeah, They get $8 million of that back in December of 2022, but nothing until then. Um, I... I think it, it's my guess. I feel like they're still going to start on time. I feel like there will be some fans in the stands. I worry about it finishing. I worry about, as you mentioned, uh, some kind of fall surge, whatever that looks like. I don't know. I'm not an epidemiologist or even a reporter that covers that kind of thing. But I, I, I do, I think they get started, but I do get really concerned about how the testing works, about how, what if there is some sort of outbreak in a defensive back room. And then you're going, okay, well, all these people have to quarantine. Then we don't have players for this. Well, we got to tell the team that we played last week. Now they got to test everybody. Well, we better tell the people we play next week. They may not want to play us. And suddenly you have a weird domino effect because it, yeah. it, it's just trying to balance so many different things at once. You're trying to balance 
health, safety, PR, frankly, liability. I mean, if we're just keeping it real. But you're also trying to balance your books. And without a football season, that is impossible in pretty much every athletic department around the country. I'd say what I'm more worried about right now, and it's way too early because every month we think we know something and something changes a month later. I worry about basketball season because of the indoor nature to the sport, um, because of the way that we know this thing does spread more indoors than outdoors. Um, Basketball is what concerns me as we move forward. And, you know, and, and, I mean, every school makes money off basketball, too. It's not football, but it is a moneymaker. I mean, what if you're – I told Neil this the other day. What if you're Butler or Gonzaga or somebody and you know basketball's in trouble? You're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you don't have the one thing that does make you money from so many different ways in those regards. And I'll, I'll be honest, you mentioned Dobbs. It's what, it's what sh- struck me. It wasn't even his words um, because everybody can have their own opinions and different things about, you know – his his what exactly he said from a quote standpoint it was the tone change that concerned me because we're talking about somebody who's been yep. very measured who has been very yep. careful has been optimistic at times has been very straightforward and it wasn't the words of his warnings or the fear or whatever it was just that tone change where i went whoa he's internally he's kind of freaked out that, that that's what got me as i was listening to that yeah i, I just i don't know i, I think like we as Mississippians, I mean, this is an American thing, but especially as Mississippians, like we're, we're so stubborn, you know, it's like, you know, just, just because like the governor says that I can't open my business up for a few weeks, that, that pisses me off. So it's almost like there's this attitude among just regular Mississippians that like we had these strict measures and like, we weren't really seeing, like if, if you don't know somebody who had the virus or died from the virus or whatever, and you're not seeing that firsthand, it's hard to buy into it. Right. It's like, why did I have to close my barbershop for a month and lose all that money and like almost lose my whole livelihood for something I can't even see? And I don't know. Like, I worry. I worry that no matter what happens, I mean, Tate, Tate Reeves can come out with an executive order tomorrow that says like every business is closed again, everybody has to wear a mask in public or whatever. I worry that Mississippians specifically are just like by nature just stubborn and jaded by government telling you to do anything that they'll just ignore it. And, you know, like, here's the bottom line. And and this is, (laughs) this is starting to become a bigger conversation, I guess, but there's no enforcement of any of this. Like, you know, the city of Jackson mayor, I think like today or yesterday issued like a a mask ordinance or whatever. And they said, they're going to start giving citations if you're like in public without a mask. But like there are, in my precinct, there are probably like 25 cops to 25,000 citizens, you know? So like good, good luck, like enforcing that in a real meaningful way. Um, you know, businesses even, I guess like, you know, police and local jurisdictions could come shut down a business that's supposed to be closed, but like, can you actually enforce that and not get sued? Or can you even know if they're operating or not? I mean, it's just, it's just, I don't know. And And then you start thinking about sports and, you know, I'm a season football ticket holder. I don't miss a game. I even go to the away games. I, I'm especially upset about COVID this year because I love going to Baton Rouge. And I, like, wait on going to Baton Rouge even when we're playing LSU and Oxford. And uh, I just, like, I don't know, Chase. Like, the, the notion of sixty to 100,000 fans being, being in those close quarters and uh, doing that every week every weekend for, you know, a whole college football season, even if it's 50% capacity, it just, 
that that could be a disaster. And that's why I think as we get closer to, you know, Labor Day weekend, I think we're going to start seeing some specific, especially in Mississippi and other southern states, you're going to start seeing some very specific college football rhetoric coming from public officials. I mean, Tate Reeves is a massive Mississippi State football fan. Like he, I don't, I don't know if he actually holds season tickets, but his family does. He's in the skyboxes for every game. Um, he wants to see, he wants to see that happen as much as any of us do. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's a matter of time before we start seeing some specific sort of cautionary rhetoric coming from Dobbs and Reeves about football specifically. Yeah. Um, and I, I wouldn't be stunned. I mean, this is just kind of me talking. I haven't seen any actual movement here yet. I still wouldn't be surprised if the schedule gets really changed and you end up with maybe conference-only schedules or something where the conferences have so much more control of what they're doing. You know what I mean? Where you can be put in, you can put in these rules, and it's in a conference nature. Because I mean, as we asked Keith last week, we said, you know, what's what do you think? How is this going to work? From how much population or attendance can be in a stadium at a time? Does it go NCAA level? Does it where, where does it go? And he said no. He thinks it's going to be at a state level with maybe a little bit of conference input, but it's each state. Well, that creates, I mean, just in in pragmatic terms, that creates so much pressure on those lawmakers or governors or whomever because you're talking about really affecting these universities in so many different ways based off what you decide that percentage to be should be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know even just the towns, man. Like yeah. Oxford has taken a beating this spring, you know, losing double decker, losing baseball season, losing graduation weekend. Uh, if you pair that on top of a loss of a college football season in the fall. Adam, well, man, I, I like, mean, honestly, I think we'll lose 35% of our restaurants. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not just restaurants, Chase. I mean, I'm talking like, you know, you're going to lose like, I guess, I guess maybe they could move budgets around to keep like emergency officials, like yeah, fire yeah. and police. But I mean, you're talking like you're going to lose like municipal, yeah, 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 uh, municipal level employees that do really important work that that keep Oxford what it is. I mean, with, without a lot of those people, Oxford doesn't sustain the real estate market. You know, real estate market is something to probably consider as well. But you know, we, that ebbs and flows. That can come back. We we've seen that firsthand. But I mean, you know, I just Oxford Oxford is a very different place at the end of the year 2020 if college football season doesn't happen. Oh, it's completely different. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's measurable because you talk about it right now. I mean, I I'm a person who eats out a pretty good bit. I haven't been inside a restaurant since the first week of March. I don't think. And yeah, it, it, and it's not about not, food not necessarily. I'm just saying, like, I have, I don't know that I've been in any establishment. You know what I mean? I haven't walked right. in anywhere. So, and, and we're also not even talking about uh, students yet either. Like, yeah, I I would I would put a thousand dollars on the table right now that we will not they will not have in person instruction in the fall. They won't. Oh, you're. I know so. they've said they're planning on it, but there's no way if if the numbers are about to rise and the, the curve's coming back like like everybody's saying it is. There's no way that that they can do that. There's just it's not even about classrooms, man. It's about the dorms. It's about like student union. It's about just I don't know. I, it just it is not feasible, and I don't. It, it could be bad. That that's just another layer to how how things could affect you know college towns themselves yeah I, I've, I've stayed in my head and maybe i'm being pollyanna i'll, I'll admit that i felt like they're gonna start i'm just worried about anything moving from that point um because i think kind of like everything else I, I just feel like they're and we'll see i mean if this thing goes crazy it goes crazy 
I almost see some schools forcing issues just to get everybody on campus to start with from a budget standpoint, just to start, and then we'll see if it goes bad or if it doesn't or what it does. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know, but. There, there was like a whole like – there it was sort of a mini scandal in some states. And, and thankfully, I think Mississippi universities figured it out quickly Yeah. Uh, about refunds for students because, you know, they had to like leave campus in the, at spring break. Um, so a lot of, a lot of students got money back for whatever reason. And, you know, I would personally, if I was a college student and I paid my tuition or took out loans to pay my tuition and halfway through the semester, they canceled class. And like, I didn't get that full educational value out of whatever class I was taking. Mm -hmm. I'd be pretty pissed about that. Uh, but look, I mean, it's, it's a, this is a mess and it's not getting better until we get a vaccine. Um, it, you know, it was funny. You were just talking about football, you know, thinking about like, yeah, they could start the season, but then what happens if there's an outbreak, you know, I, <laughs> you mentioned an outbreak in the defensive, defensive back room. I uh, immediately just thought of Elijah Moore playing safety and that, that could kind of be like a cool, like entertainment value thing, like a little backyard football action going. Well, that was Lane but, Kiffin's thing. I mean, we we had a Zoom call with him several weeks ago, and that was we said, "Hey, are you optimistic? What's up?" And he goes, "I don't know. I mean, tell me what happens. Tell me, tell me if if, if we have some situation in the middle of the season where something goes weird. I mean, you know, because this point to this point too, and I'm not like trying to keep this not political or medical or whatever we call it, because I yeah, young people are are not really dying from this disease. I understand that." But there are outliers in a lot of different ways. What does happen if one player somewhere gets sick, really, really sick, requires a ventilator? Yeah. Does that shut everything down? And I'm not saying it should or shouldn't. I'm just saying that's the question we could end up seeing at some point during the fall. So I, I know it. I, I know, know it. it you know? It's it's just a it's a big question mark. Selfishly, I want to see football. I I would not go. You asked me this the last time I was on the podcast. You asked if I would go. I did. I yeah. still would not go in person. Um. And that's that's not necessarily about me. It's about you know my parents who I'm I'll, I'll be seeing regularly, and I'm just I'm not going to risk that. But I mean, I would love to be able to sit down on every Saturday this fall and watch them on TV, even if it's an empty stadium. I mean, mm-hmm. just just to watch the games is something I think we all need. Really looking forward to NBA that sort of accelerated playoffs for right. NBA and uh, MLB's coming back. It looks like I, I hope I'm hopeful that all works out because we need it. But you're right. I mean, I think you know you have to you have to think about the safety, especially college sports, man. These these players are like you're talking about putting them on the field in an empty stadium, so their schools can collect millions of TV money, and they're not getting shit. Yeah. I mean, that becomes another political like NCA conversation. I know, but like, it's almost in my mind, ethically, morally speaking, it's almost okay to say, yeah, we can send out like the New Orleans Pelicans to play these this this short season because at least these players are getting paid millions. These college football players, man, like are we actually okay with putting their their lives at risk? Mm-hmm. To, like watch some football on TV? I don't know about that. Yeah. I don't know. There's no doubt. Well, we, uh, tons going on. Hopefully you'll uh, have something to cover now that the state flag thing is done. It looks like legislators are going to go home for a little bit. But I uh, appreciate all the time today. Let's do it again soon, bud. Thanks so much, Chase. Take care.